0: Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Joja. I'm with the Middle East Institute, Georgetown, and George Washington Universities, and I'm joined by...
1: Giselle Donnelly, I'm a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And... Dalibu Rohacz,
2: also a senior fellow at AEI.
0: On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that tend to emerge along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. Today and in a very timely fashion, we're joined by Laura Mandeville, who is a senior reporter for Le Figaro, specializing on Russia. She was the bureau chief for Le Figaro in Moscow and in Washington for many years. She is also the author of several books, too, that came out this year. One on Ukraine when Ukraine rises, the birth of a new Europe, and a second one on the revolution of the West. And last but not least among many of her responsibilities, she's also the co-founder of the Tocqueville Conversations, which are transatlantic international conversations, um, very well known in our um, little corner of the world. We are looking forward to our conversation today. And let me um, start, Laura, by Plugging in um, what is actually happening today, just um, a couple of hours ago, President Macron has landed in Washington. And it is a big, bit of a big deal because it's a second visit um, around, and there's a lot on the agenda. China is on the agenda, Europe and European security is on the agenda, and we're hoping Ukraine as well. So can you give us your take um, about this visit, what you expect the main conversation to be about, and whether you think um, Ukraine will play a prominent role today and in the Days to follow.
3: Yes, first of all, let me thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to be in conversations with America where I spent, uh, you know, eight very busy years. So I'm happy to be with you. The topic of, uh, of Macron's visit, I think uh, it is an important visit, obviously, because of the context, the, the extremely particular context in which this visit is taking place. We are in the middle of a, an absolutely Dangerous geopolitical moment in Europe with a big war, a big uh, high-intensity war in the middle of our continent. So, for the Europeans, this moment is a moment of uh, of a big uh, a challenge, a big disarray as well, a, a lot of questions, uh, also uh, a, 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 an attempt to uh, to unite, and and also a very important moment, obviously for this reason, with the transatlantic. Uh, Uh, ally with with America. Uh, Concerning the the topics, I think, uh, of course, obviously, Ukraine will be very high on the agenda. I think uh, that there will be a willingness on both sides, uh, both the French and the Americans, I think, will want to uh, underline the, uh, the unity uh, of our purpose which is to get uh, ukraine through this war and and uh, help ukraine regain uh, its uh, freedom and 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 uh, sovereignty on its territory uh, this is the global of course goal but of course uh, the details are not ironed out they are very much into the uh, you know into the dark actually with a lot of i think questions uh, at the, in the heart of, of washington which is uh, obviously the key place uh, where we'll be uh, you know sort of ironed out uh, part of the answer to this question not only in Kiev, but also, of course, partly in Europe, in Berlin, in, in, in Paris, and, and in Brussels, and in, of course, in Eastern Europe. So, so, so this is a, a very important moment. I think there is global agreement, but a lot of uh, unanswered questions and, and obviously also differences of approach uh, uh, to this issue. Uh, there is also of course the the question of of the consequences of this crisis i think that's uh, one of macron's advisers when he talks i think when arriving in washington said uh, i think a few hours ago that uh, of course uh, we are together with the same aim with this crisis but we do have to discuss are we aligned or uh, uh, we do have to discuss the consequences of this crisis and what it means for all of us and how to handle it in a united way, which doesn't seem so obvious, especially on the economic front. And that will be, of course, a very important part of the conversation. There will be a lot of, uh, I think, uh, uh, discussion around, uh, you know, the um, American uh, new inflation reduction act and, you know, the protectionist policies that America is going to put in place to help uh, its industry, especially uh, concerning electrical cars uh, so there is a lot of worry in europe where we are hit extremely hard by the crisis because of the total you know uh, earthquake in uh, the energy you know economy obviously because of the of the big crisis uh, on the on the russian front and there is the, the, the fact that the Europeans have the impression that America, in some ways, is uh, benefiting uh, very much from uh, economically because you know uh, America is selling uh, uh, its gas to Europe now uh, in replacement of, of the of the gas that Russia will not uh, sell anymore for obvious reasons. And the, the Americans say, "Okay, but we have we've been helping. We've been sort of uh, actually." Uh, uh um, you know leading the way in terms of help enormous amount of of, of military help and economic to the ukrainians uh, uh from the beginning much more of course than the europeans so they don't really understand you know they they feel that uh, they have to be in that in that sense free to uh, protect you know the american market so i i believe this part of the conversation is going to be very uh, tough You know, but it will maybe be behind the scene. I don't know exactly. I think that Macron is trying to get some exemptions for the American access to the American market for uh, a European industry. I don't think uh, Biden seems very keen on doing that. So uh, we'll see what happens. And of course, there is a a lot of uh, discussion will will be around China, which is such an important, I would say, top priority topic for the Americans in terms of their. Uh, foreign policy obviously and uh, as you know there has been a, a big crisis a year ago between the french and, and the americans on this particular topic because of the aukus the famous aukus uh, alliance which emerged excluding the french from from this uh, from this uh, strategic game and uh, with a lot of tensions at that moment, uh, now, you know, the American officials want to believe that this is uh, uh, behind us, that the relationship will emerge uh, strong, and, uh, uh, but uh, there are actually questions. The uh, Europeans uh, and France, uh, uh, especially, but I would say even more Germany, very obviously want a more balanced relationship with with China for economic reasons especially now that they are in such dire economic uh, you know crisis they want to somehow keep this relationship going. So you have a lot of disagreement in Europe between the, the, the strategic hawks who say, we do not have to repeat with China what we did with Russia and sort of continue uh, an economic relationship that could be uh, uh, detrimental and very dangerous on the strategic front. We have to think strategically and and more the Americans. And you have another position, which is uh, we have to be more realistic. We cannot afford actually to just align align with the Americans. We have to defend our economic interests and a more balanced and independent position towards China. So as you see, uh, there are reasons for, I think there are huge reasons actually for America and Europe and America and France to sort of stick together because uh, we are in the middle of a a very, uh, you know, big storm for the democratic West Which is being, you know, put into question in many quarters around the globe and inside our own uh, societies, which is, you know, another topic, which is very important, I think. Which is actually that all of these huge, big uh, storms gathering geopolitically they uh, happen in the middle of a deep Western internal crisis, and so that makes, uh, you know, the the meeting between the two oldest friend uh, allies, you know, America and France, uh, very important, I think, and very timely. Look, if I if I may, I would like to just zoom in uh, on one aspect of of,
2: of 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 the story, which is what, what seems to be a transatlantic divergence on on Ukraine. So, so you already alluded to this that there've been series of articles, including in Politico's, I think, European and French mm-hmm. officials talking about how. There is this growing perception in Europe that uh, United States is profiting from from the war by okay. selling weapons and by selling natural gas to mm-hmm. to Europe. Macron himself said that gas prices were not friendly to Europeans. The sort of U.S. said natural gas prices Thierry Breton, yes. the European Commissioner, said that the U.S. was uh, artificially inflating the price. Essentially, right. how worried are you that this is the beginning of? Of a of a sort of further drift in European public opinion uh, mm-hmm. away from from the American one in a way that could uh, really endanger what has been a very impressive sort of display of unity in mm. in the face of Russian aggression.
3: In fact, you know uh, this is a very key question as as you as you know because the um, the major bet that uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, making now is the bet on uh, the uh, divide of uh, of the West, on the, uh, dividing the West uh, and uh, sowing, you know, really uh, seeds of uh, of, uh, of divide between us. He has started doing this years ago. There was a very um, effective policy of subversion. I don't know if the, the word is right in, in English. Uh, subversion of our democracies with the, uh, an extremely active game, which actually uh, was uh, particularly striking and and efficient, because actually in hybrid war, I think Putin is at his main main game, because he's a former, you know, KGB agent who who, who was in in charge of actually that kind of hybrid war uh, uh, in Dresden, and you know, as Catherine Belton, uh, I think, magnificently reports in her book, you know. Uh, Putin's man uh, that was out in France a few few weeks ago, actually. This context, of course, is a very tricky one. And I think the war is uh, creating again, you know, a hope in in Moscow that they could bet on this to sort of counterbalance the uh, very obvious um, uh, failures that that we're seeing on the military ground in Ukraine, on, on the Russian side. And uh, there are different things to understand. First of all, you should understand that uh, for now, uh, in France, I would say that the public opinion is, uh, I would say, in majority supporting the Ukrainians. And I think uh, it's a very interesting fact because, you know, the the polls are still clear. There is a majority of French uh, people supporting Ukraine. And I think that's thanks to the absolutely quite extraordinary coverage, but that the French media have uh, continued over and over the last eight months and nine months with, uh, you know, uh, two hours programs every day on the major uh, TV, you know, informational channels, to their surprise of these channels, that the people wanted more of that, that actually, when they feed uh, information about Ukraine, their ratings go up. So they keep feeding it, and you, you you've had uh, you know a very uh, important uh, stream of uh, of uh, you know reports from the ground. A lot of war correspondents, a lot of Ukrainian uh, experts and and French experts uh, uh, invited on on, the, on different panels. You even had which is unbelievable i thought uh, on the parliamentary channel an ukrainian woman coming for 10 minutes to speak in ukrainian to the ukrainian community and talking about the news of the day which is something absolutely uh, you know unprecedented so and that created i think a big wave of support the fact also that you had a lot of refugees coming in into europe has also i think nurtured this sort of uh, spontaneous uh, willingness to support the Ukrainians, but uh, it's different in the French elites, and that's the important, the interesting element is that um, the political elite. When if you look back a few months ago, you know during the the uh, uh, election campaign, you know in the spring, the major candidates were very much uh, either pro, uh, obviously pro-Russian, like someone like uh, Marine Le Pen from Rassemblement National, so you know the extreme right. Or Eric Zemmour, a sort of nationalist candidate, was very pro Putin. You had the Les Républicains, which is the conservative moderate right, was a bit more moderate, but still. With the major f- figures of this party, like President Sarkozy, uh, calling for some kind of an, uh, understanding and some kind of agreement, that pushing for this very specific relationship with the with the French and sort of neo gaullist you know, uh, uh, spirit of of uh, Russia for us is a major partner. Whatever happens, we have to balance our uh, relationship. We have to look for some kind of uh, uh, agreement. We have to push for peace. And Macron, paradoxically, which has been seen since then as a voice which was excessively you know, in favor of negotiations, calling Putin uh, every five minutes, uh, what they call the Macronite, you know, uh, on the, on the Russian uh, on the television, yes, yeah. on the television to say that Macronite was uh, uh, constantly taking your phone to 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 have a conversation, which no, nobody knew about what. And so this, in fact, Macron was the was the toughest. Of these candidates, and I I forgot the extreme left, which is you know inherited the sort of pro-Russian stance from the communist the the time of the communist party, as you understand France was a there was a big communist party uh, in during the Cold War, which represented nearly twenty percent, I would say twenty even twenty five percent sometimes of the population with this sort of pro-Russian stance so macron was the hawk in fact and and uh, so that's the french context that you have to understand to 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 understand you know the his positioning i think macron when he came in as president uh, started by uh, uh, having a, a stance which was quite tough you know sort of calling out for instance russia today uh, which was uh, excluded from france you know as a, as a as a tv uh, propaganda channel, but at the same time, very quickly started to come back to this kind of more traditional French, uh, Russia-oriented policy, trying to find some kind of dialogue and hoping that uh, Putin would come around, that he would still be a partner, that we would still have some kind of strategic relationship to reorganize the uh, architecture of security in Europe. He had this uh, very, quite incredible uh, dialogue in 2019 to sort of reset the relationship, which was very, reminded me very much of what I saw with obama by the way in in 20 uh, uh, nine, uh 2009 uh, to 2012 when he was trying to reset the relationship with russia exactly on on this idea that uh, we could talk about what we agree on and let out all the rest you know and and i think uh, to be frank that one has to uh, even if we have to uh, st- you know underline uh, the specific- specifics of the french approach to russia we have to underline the global Western disaster, strategic disaster that happened in February, that there was no understand no deep understanding of what Russia was, of what Putin was, of the danger that was represented by by this regime. Although, you know, many voices actually experts uh, journalists and i would say countries like uh, the baltics uh, poland uh, central europe had been for years actually warning uh, the uh, western europe and the us about the, the danger of uh, this uh, revisionist aggressive russia with the kgb clan coming back and sort of merging with the criminal clan and uh, and and you know I am of generation which actually covered uh, Putin coming to power, and we knew from the start that this was not going to end well and uh, we we actually uh, i would say screamed in the French desert and European desert and western desert for years so that's that 's the reality of what happened at the moment uh, macron. After this period, which was very criticized, you know, in the spring, where he had all these, uh, I think, hundreds of calls. I don't know how many. It's nearly embarrassing to talk about it uh, with uh, with Putin. Uh, uh, he sort of, uh, he, he, I think, he somehow came back to. Uh, a uh, much tougher position after visiting uh, Ukraine and after understanding that he was being laughed at in Moscow and and, and used uh, and I think despised by 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 uh, Putin and 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 the Kremlin uh, but uh, one has to um, to say that uh, I think both in Berlin and in Paris for different reasons you still have this sort of resurgence of uh, Hope that uh, we should uh, we should try some to find some kind of accommodation. You have a lot of former ministries, former presidents in France who want to actually go back to this sort of special relationship, and all. But they they now don't say that it's for creating the strategic relationship for now, but they say for pragmatic re- uh, reasons that it's dangerous to uh, push the Russian in the corner. That we should start negotiations. And some some people seem to continue not to understand that it's uh, actually uh, start negotiations which uh, 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 a party which doesn't want to negotiate but wants to impose its condition and the capitulation of Ukraine and, and of the West is not the, the way to go. So so there is discussion going on, but I think this discussion is actually also American now, and that's where we get into very, I think, uh, on, uh, very pretty, uh, not very visible, not very understandable waters. Uh, I uh, know that the journalists, French journalists, who went to, uh, to went to um, the to G20 in Asia a, a few weeks ago, got some information. I don't know if they are confirmed in Washington that uh, uh, Biden actually uh, was told by the Chinese that there would be a red line. In uh, in uh, in the way they handle this crisis, and that would be Crimea. That the Chinese would support Crimea to remain Russian, and that the the Americans should understand that in the handling of this crisis. So you know, putting a, a lot of pressure on the West uh, in the way the the. Uh, they are going to think through uh the uh you know the continuation of the of this of this war uh i think biden and, and macron probably will say that uh, they will continue uh, to support ukraine and that it's, it's it will be up to the ukrainians to um to de- decide what is a, a victory and but apparently there've been some uh, uh, signs that uh, there might have been some conversations ongoing between Washington and, and Kiev, uh, questioning, you know, what is going to happen. So I think the big fear of the Ukrainians, and I was talking to a lot of Ukrainians this week because there was a big Ukrainian week in Paris, is that are we going to be pushed by the West to sort of uh, uh, suddenly freeze the war and hold the line? And that would be, of course, a, a, a very a huge blow. Uh, to them and, I think, to Europe. Uh, that was uh, quite a performance, Lord. a uh, 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 tour of the horizon. I'm sorry, uh, I've been a bit long, uh, uh, but...
1: Uh, no, 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 I've, I, meant, I meant it as a compliment. I'm sorry. I, I guess the one question I would have supplemental to that is how you see this all sort of shaking out or not shaking out uh, come springtime on the assumption that... There won't be too much change on the battlefield, but what there is will slightly favor uh, the Ukrainians, certainly that they'll be in a better position to start up major offensives, sort of depending on how quickly they can rearm and refit, and that the Russians don't have such a uh, such a, a high side to them. But Europe will have and, and seems to be resolved to endure the... Yes winter chill with, uh, with good spirit, uh, but facing maybe another year of conflict and further refugees, I'm sure that'll be part of the winter story as well. Um, I'm just wondering if you can do a little forecasting uh, about whether the larger alliance will will hold firm uh, begin to tremble, collapse altogether, <laughs> go to the mm-hmm. other side. How how do you see this playing itself out in say six months or so?
3: Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a very <laughs> uh, difficult question and sensitive one. I I think uh, I mean to be very clear for me there is a, a big fragility of the of the West and of our and and of Europe. I think that uh, in many ways, that's what I was saying at the beginning, that we are in a very deep Western crisis, which is uh, not uh, directly related for many internal reasons that are not linked with the Russian crisis, but with actually... Come together with the Russian crisis and are used by the Russians, and you know the, there are many problems in France. I mean, I, I I used to say, uh, you know, I was when I was uh, giving conference on my other book, which is called "The Insurgents of the West," which is a, an attempt to uh, to uh, assess what's going on in the West and why, you know, a significant part of the of of the uh, you know the people are just uh, rising against the elite. Um, I'm saying that we are in a pre-revolutionary time. There is such distrust of our elite that it, it's dangerous. And that's why we are very fragile. And one cannot totally predict, you know, when this fragility can uh, actually uh, uh, put in danger or into question this uh, united front uh, that we've been talking about on the on the war, because you know I think that because of the distrust of the elite, which haven't been able to solve very serious questions linked in in Europe with migration, with the question of Islam and Islamism, and the future, you know, of the 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 uh, sort of uh, undoing of the common. Uh, Purpose of our societies, all of that is is playing out, and 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 the problem is that in the political elite, it's very difficult to find politicians who are able to uh, articulate uh, uh, an understanding and a, and a political uh, discourse on both challenges, Russia, and internal challenges. So it's either or or the other one. So, for instance. The, the left is more, I would say, Macron and, and this, blo- uh, you know, this part of the electorate would be willing to talk much more about the Russian crisis. That we have to get united, we have to to keep strong uh, Europe, etc. But they are a uh, 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 part of the left is dismissing, I would say, the major part of the left dismissing the other topics. You know of uh, the question of immigration, uh, the question of of danger of, of Islamization of uh, of big segments of France, and and because of that, significant segments of French society are telling the journalists us. They say you are telling us to to be to to keep strong and 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 fight. You know the Russian question, but what are you doing for the other existential issues that we have? within our walls. And I think this is a a very vulnerable and uh, it's like a a dead angle of the whole story. We have uh, our uh, southern border defenders here in the United States.
1: What what I'm confused about, though, is that if the war goes badly, that will only exacerbate and exacerbate on a scale that could well uh, exceed... The wave of Islamization, um, and and to lose the war to Russia would also uh, be another strike against the West as a
3: resilient culture. I agree with you. I think it's an absolute. It should be an, an absolute priority. You know the the Russian war, but I'm explaining how people function and and how it could you know jeopardize. This sort of the, 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 in, on the long term, this effort and this policy. And, uh, but, uh, concerning, you know, the winter, I still hope that the people, that we, we get over the, uh, the, uh, the winter and that, uh, uh the Ukrainian will be able to continue what the, the remarkable gains that they've been, uh, making. And, uh, but I, I am very, I'm still worried by the, um, the sort of uh, you know unpredictable element of this uh, whole uh, story, that will be uh, Putin's behavior because uh, they are losing, but they are denying that they are losing or, or they know they are losing, but they're denying it because they have no way out. So in fact they will continue to play out uh, you know a full-scale uh, war to the end. Because this is what Russia has always done. If you look at the, uh, you know, both the history of Putin, who is a maximizer, when you look at what he did in Chechnya. Maximizing to the end, you know, to, to sort of crush everything, he did that in Syria when at the beginning we didn't believe that he could actually push a, a policy of regaining the ground and and uh, you know keeping Assad in power. He did this maximization, you know, sort of uh, of this policy, and I think he will do, try to do the same, thinking that we, the West, are so short term that will in the end we, we sort of cave. Cave in, and um, so so I'm I'm quite worried by that. At the same time, I see the global uh, picture of Russia as uh, playing in in uh, on our side because I think it's uh, uh, what is going on is uh, uh, you know the uh, falling apart of uh, of of the Russian uh, uh, both of the Russian regime and and. And, and in a way, Russian state, you have this disinstitutionalization of the of the state in Russia. Uh, you know the way the army is behaving, the fact that you have non state actors actually uh, nearly overrunning uh the uh the uh, the uh sort of regular armed forces the the sort of uh, total disruption of the chain of command the way this mobilization has been handled i mean even the economic policy which seems to be sort of avoska as we say in russian you know the sort of improvisation full scale uh when uh you know at the beginning everyone was repeating at the the uh, top of the leadership that they would organize you know sort of mobilization economy and new chain of uh of um, economic chain of uh, approvisionment, of uh, supply. And, and then it seems that it's extremely difficult to do. So all of that is playing against them in the long run. And I think everybody, everybody uh, is wondering, you know, how are we going to get, uh, Russia is going to get out of this? Because will it be some kind of, uh, you know, a small uh, palace revolution, a coup, you know, uh, at some point, uh, because the uh, you know uh, the Russians don't—I mean, dictatorships end, end badly when they fail a war, and we saw saw that you know after Tsushima in 1904, which sort of ended up with the Russian Revolution. It looks like for now the Russian uh, people are not ready to 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 rise, but uh, there could be you know I mean there are more and more signs that uh, inside the elite there are huge fights from all sides. So it's still very unclear, but there is also, there is for for sure a a disaster coming for, for Russia in the long run. But with which, which cost for Ukraine, which cost for Europe and for us all? That's, that's the big question.
0: Laura, before we let you go, maybe one last question to help us understand and explain the European paradoxes. And perhaps just because you ended up on the cost for Ukraine, in, in the end, the question through the winter and in the, into the spring, the way the Ukrainians are legitimately asking it is about weapon supplies. And um, with the voices that we've heard from France and from Europe, like Dalibor was mentioning in Politico and beyond over the last couple of weeks, the reproach um, towards um, Washington has been, well, you're profiting from war in the military industry, too, by delivering and leading on weapon supplies that the Ukrainians are asking for. I think it was yesterday that the Minister of Foreign Affairs from Ukraine, Kuleba, was um, making it his main call in the ministerial in uh, with NATO in Bucharest about uh, increasing the production, um, and he was referring to the West globally. The reproach has been from France and from Europe, and particularly from France in a very specific manner in that France is now to to, to this extent even mad at Berlin, saying, well, you're undermining strategic autonomy because you are increasing your defense budget, but you're buying mm-hmm. American, not European weapons. The Poles, on the other hand, are buying South Korean yes. weapons, not European ones. And if we're looking at France's weapons delivery from Ukraine, of course, it's a dwarf compared to Poland or to Germany, about one-seventh or one eighth of what um, the other two are delivering for different reasons, and so that that seems I'm betting to our audience too a paradox in that France is essentially saying Britain too, but but to a lesser extent. Why is the United States delivering weapons and selling weapons and making money off of that when um, we should be bolstering our um, defense industry? France is the largest one in Europe, but But yet France does not give itself the opportunity to do that to display weapons and in the end help Ukraine. So with voices increasing, probably after January 1st here in the Congress, that Europeans should do more um, to lead what is a matter of European security. How do you how can you help us make sense of this European paradox? And do you see anything in the French position specifically changing? Or is that, is Macron under, like you were describing, under too much pressure from the other, from his political opponents to continue on the line of we shouldn't humiliate Russia, we should censor deliveries to Ukraine?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you are asking a a very relevant uh, question. I think that uh, one of the problems, of course, has been that uh, Uh, It's the global context of of what you're describing, which is a context of uh, Europe, which disarmed uh, in major ways since the end of the Cold War and uh, which uh, seemed to be believing uh, our political class, I would say, uh, uh, European uh, uh, globally, that uh, we could live uh, peacefully forever in a disarmed Europe under some kind of uh, American umbrella that we hated but we that we still enjoyed and uh the problem is that w- w- at the beginning when when the war uh, occurred we had this uh situation when for instance uh, talking about france which was not the worst case scenario because france never despite all all of its uh Problems maintain some kind of, uh, uh, you know, armament and, and military in uh, relative uh, capacity. Uh, it's it's uh, you know the, the the most important military in Europe uh, for now. But it will it's still uh, uh, an economy uh, um, a defense industry which has uh, a little bit of everything, but not enough of of of. of uh, of nothing. I mean, uh, that they need to, in, for any big scale operation, they st- still need the Americans, uh, to, to go to war for, uh, so, so it's in fact, they realized that there was a report of the Senate saying that the French had ammunition for one week in, in case of a high intensity conflict when the war started. So, so that was, you know, big, uh, uh suddenly, uh, People started saying we have to rearm, et cetera, et cetera. And they were, the, the, the situation was even worse. It was absolutely catastrophic in Germany, as you know, which had uh, an army which was reduced to practically nothing. And they suddenly had this moment, they called the Titan Bender, where they decided that they're going to push uh, 100 billion. Uh, Uh, Dollars in rearmament to rearm, but that was a taboo for so many years. They didn't want to think of themselves in strategic terms. So, in fact, the situation now is that you you have a France who wants to uh, Europe to 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 become a a, a military player and have a defense industry that would enable us to be to to, to to be stronger. But uh, cannot do it because also of its economy, which is which which is actually not in very good shape, to say the least. You know, and there was there has been a a trend in de- desindustrialization of France for uh, several decades, which is very problematic. And uh, and you have a Germany who, who could but want didn't want to, and the rest of the of the, of the uh, countries were even in a worse situation. So actually with the united states you know uh, it's um it's a big like the egg chicken uh, question is what is actually the the problem is it that we uh, d- uh, the the americans are actually preventing us from uh, building up this uh, Uh, defense industry, because they they are very actively, let's not be uh, naive, uh, their interest uh, uh, everywhere in Europe to to, to actually sell their weapons and and jets and F-35, etc., or, but is it or is it because we are so expensive, so incapable of uh, building up, uh, you know, this uh, tank of the future or jet of the future with the Germans? Because the Germans prefer to be with the Americans because they don't trust the French, and it, all all of this is interconnected, and it's very difficult to see what is the beginning of the problem and what is the end. It's it sort of goes back and forth. And uh, the, the the reality is actually that uh, Europe, if we didn't have the Americans, we would be in a in a critical situation, in a catastrophic situation. But but I would also say that the Americans who are now you know questioning very permanently both in, on the democratic side and on the Republican side, if, even though you know Biden is reassuring and saying that they will stay in Europe, there is still this sort of trend of somehow rebalancing, you know, and and saying we're not going to be able to keep, you know, financing uh, the defense of Europe. So if you don't want to finance, maybe you should also help the, the uh, European to somehow leave, leave out some place for some uh, part of the defense industry cake. You know, this is a very touchy questions, but I think that if the West wants to survive as a, you know, um, a strong alliance and a, and this sort of a, a space of, of, of freedom in the middle of this very hostile world, somehow we will have to, to make uh, concessions, I think, on both sides.
0: Laura Mandeville, thank you so much for joining us for this Tour de Force of Transatlantic <laughs> Relations. Um, from me, Julia Joja, and my friends...
1: Giselle Donnelly and...
0: Donny Baraj. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. To stay up to date with the Eastern Front, please give us a follow on Twitter at Eastern Front Pod and sign up for our newsletter through the link included in the show notes. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, ai.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and until next time, goodbye.